The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning. Um, so we're going to be talking a little bit about land this morning. And before we do that, I kind of wanted to share as we've all been in quarantine and we've all been at home and there have been things that we've had to adjust to and change, but there was something that really stood out to me this morning and I thought it was so sweet that my son was in his bedroom with his bedroom shut and he was singing to himself. And the words he was singing was, I love the mountains, I love the rolling hills, I love the flowers, I love the daffodils, boom diada, boom diada, boom diada, boom diada. And I thought it was so sweet because I was thinking how simple it must be for a child who has no idea that we are under quarantine, that they can live and just enjoy their life as they have and find simple things to be a pleasure. And uh, I just wanted to share that this morning because that was such a glimmer and ray of sunshine in an otherwise locked down world. So my name is Jacob Wishoff and I'm an elder here at the Refuge Church. And to start this morning, I would like to pray for our congregation and those in our state and in our world as we have been locked down for a while now, and it looks to be that we will be under quarantine until the end of May. So if you could, please pray with me this morning. Father, we just thank you so very much for good health, that while we are on lockdown, God, we can still meet together and talk about your word. I ask that you would help us to focus on you this morning, God, and that we would have a deeper sense of passion and love for your commands, for what your word is saying to us. Give us endurance, give us patience, and give us understanding, God. I pray that you would be with us. In your name we pray, amen. So this morning we continue our series in Joshua, Enter the Promise, and here we enter the middle of a story. God has called his people out of slavery and into freedom. They have left, but they have not yet arrived. The journey has been difficult. Many have been lost along the way. Now they stand on the threshold. The promise is before them. What will it take to enter the promise? God has not stopped making and keeping promises. God has made an eternal promise to all those who are his children. What will it take to experience that promise? And so where we find ourselves this morning is actually 11 chapters past last Sunday. And so I wanted to kind of gloss over those 11 chapters with you and just kind of highlight the things that have gone on. 
So what we have seen is the kings of the north have banded together to fight against Joshua. And while that would be scary for the average person, God tells Joshua not to worry because he is going to deliver those kings and those kingdoms into Joshua's hands. We then see a list of kings, if we're to go a little further, who have been defeated by Moses and then Joshua. So that's about 31 kings in total. And then we see, as we continue, just a lot of land allotment, the division of the land. First, we see the division of the land east of the Jordan, which are the two and a half tribes being Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh. And then we see the division of the land on the west side of the Jordan, which are the other nine and a half tribes being Judah, Ephraim, the other half of Manasseh, Benjamin, Issachar, Simeon, Zebulun, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan. And within that, we also see Caleb requesting the land of Hebron as he was one of the spies who went into the land and was faithful to God. So both him and Joshua were promised that they would see the promised land. And so he requests of Joshua that he would have Hebron, and because of that faithfulness, he was granted that, and so he ended up inheriting that land. We then see land given to Joshua. We see, after that, the establishment of cities of refuge. We see the towns of the Levites, and we have to remember that the Levites themselves do not get land given to them because their inheritance is the Lord God himself. And so that's a really amazing place to be, after serving the tribes for as long as they have. So, you may, after hearing that, start asking a few questions, because that's where I found myself. Such as, where is any of this taking place? What does it look like, and why is it set up that way? So I have done my due diligence this morning, and I actually brought a map so that we could look at it practically. So if you notice on the west, which is your left-hand side of the screen, you're going to notice there are nine and a half tribes listed on the west side in bold font. Those being Asher, Naphtali, Zebulun, Issachar, Ephraim, Dan, one half of the tribe of Manasseh. And if you look at the Jordan River down the middle, it splits Manasseh in half. Um, and then Benjamin, Judah, and Simeon. Down the middle, you will notice that there is a river Jordan that as it goes all the way down leads to the Dead Sea. And then on the east side, which is your right hand side, you're gonna notice two and a half tribes, which are the other half of Manasseh, Gad, and then Reuben. So the question you are probably asking now is why some tribes go back across the Jordan to settle rather than continuing to advance west deeper into Canaan which would be that west hand side with the nine and a half tribes. And so I want you to make a note here of Numbers 32. And there we find the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh were in possession of very large livestock, herds and flocks. They noticed that the areas of Jazer and Gilead which were east of the Jordan, were good for livestock. So Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh went to Moses and Eleazar the priest and asked them if they could stay and have the land of the east. Moses was not a huge fan of this idea, 
because he believed that the two and a half tribes being Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh would not help the other tribes in the campaign of conquering and settling into Canaan. So they believed Moses and Eleazar that if they stayed behind in the east, that they would not move into the west and Israel would not have the support they need to go and conquer that land. They thought that they would just become lazy and kind of say to themselves and not be committed to the whole tribe together. So the two and a half tribes, after hearing that, make a pledge to help and not only to help, but while their children and families stay in the east, that they would send their 40,000 men combined to go before the other tribes and make sure that each of the other tribes of Israel have conquered Canaan and received their inheritance. They agreed not to take any land of the west because the east was their inheritance, but they were still allowed to take the plunder that they received from the enemies as they conquered those that were settled in Canaan. So Moses then assured them if they were to do this, as they have said, that they would, be, that they would inherit the land of the east of the Jordan. And this was a fulfillment of God's promise to that two and a half tribes through his servant Moses. So here we find ourselves with all the land allotted and passed out to the tribes of Israel. We have settled with nine and a half on one side, two and a half on the other. And before we jump in, I kind of want to share a story so I can get you thinking in the direction of the story that we're going to talk about today. And that is a few years ago, I was sitting in the living room with my co-leader of a former community group that I was a part of. And while we were sitting there talking about the group, my co-leader looks at me and says, well, shall we get started? And to that I replied, we should wait another five to ten more minutes. And because there were not as many as at group as we normally had had, I picked up my cell phone and began to text to remind those that weren't present to get to the community group as fast as they could. And anyone who knows me knows that I have a tendency to be addicted to my cell phone. And my co-leader, who is a dear friend of mine, knew that also. And so he fires at me, why, so you can fiddle on your phone for another five to ten minutes instead of being present? And I tried to explain myself, but my co-leader had every reason not to believe me. Because if we were to base it on past experiences, he would have been absolutely right. I would have been fiddling on my phone. But I was texting the other group members, and what a huge misunderstanding. So I emailed him to let him know the truth of what had taken place. And what we found out is that we had similar motives. Therefore, we both were in the right and able to celebrate our faith and love for our group together. The other co-leader wanted group to go well, and I also wanted more people there so group could go well. I believe this is similar to where we find ourselves in Joshua 22. And no, not about the cell phone. I'm not talking about the cell phone. What I'm talking about is the misunderstanding that both sides of Israel... We're taking God seriously, not understanding that they were on the same side and that both were in the right and both could celebrate their faith together. So the big question that I want you to ask yourself today is, do we take God's commands seriously? And this big idea is, take time to ask hard questions so we can find our way back to God together. And so as we look at Joshua 22, 1 through 9, and I will not be reading the whole chapter today, so I'm asking you to read that on your own. 
what we're going to see as we look at the first nine verses is that our first point is Joshua commands those east of the Jordan to keep the commands of God. If you are following along in the story, Joshua has asked the two and a half tribes, being Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh, to come to him. Joshua praises the men for keeping their promise to go ahead of the other tribes of Israel and fight for them to help them get the inheritance. Not only did they do all Moses commanded them, they also obeyed the instructions and commands of Joshua. For that reason, although Moses has long passed, Joshua is now telling the men that they can finally rest as their brothers are resting and go and settle and work the ground of the east side of the Jordan. But we see, which is really interesting, Joshua gives them a specific instruction in verse 5. So Joshua 22.5 says, But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And so they were being sent not to go and live separately of Israel and the Israelites. They were being sent so that they can continue to put God before them and to live in obedience to God on the east side of the Jordan. So what commandment were they being asked to keep? Deuteronomy 5.29 Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. They were commanded to keep God before them. To truly fear him and keep and obey his words so that it would become a future blessing for the next generation. And next they are told to take all of the items that they have plundered from helping, divide them with their brothers and whatever they are to keep to take that home to their inheritance. And if you look at verse 8, you are just so shocked to see how much they're taking. Large cattle, um, a large quantity of clothing, gold, silver, iron. All these different things that would have monetary value, they are asked to divide among their brothers and then take what their division, their portion is with them to go. So Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh were able to head home. How great that must have felt to realize that they had done what they had said that they would do and now were able to go and enjoy the fruits of upholding their end of the bargain. What I was thinking when I heard that was kind of like this idea, this cliche idea that if you remember as a teenager, some of you will remember this, um, that if you were to graduate, you were to keep good grades, you were to do your very best, and you had great attendance, that at the end of graduation, you would receive your very first car or some sort of reward. And if you remember the time that it took um, to get good grades, to study, to be on time, to do what you were being asked to, you remember how sweet after waiting so long and how working so hard um, felt when you received that final gift of the car that you could enjoy. Just how amazing that must have felt. And so here's Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and they are finally coming to settle in this promised area that God had said that they could have through Moses if they were only to stay true to what they had said they would do and that was to help um, the rest of Israel get their inheritance. 
So Joshua has commanded those east of the Jordan to keep the commands of God. Now the second thing I want you to notice as you move down this passage, you're going to find through Joshua 22, 10 through 20, is that sin is serious and must be dealt with. And so that's kind of a far jump because we're like, where did we go from Joshua commanding those to keep the commands of God and to be obedient to God into this area of where sin is now a serious issue that must be dealt with. And the reason that we have gotten there is because if we keep moving forward in the story, we see that as Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh are coming near to the Jordan River, before crossing it, they do something rather odd. Instead of just crossing, they build an altar of imposing size. An imposing size is just a reference to mean that it took up so much space that it was coming over the side onto the west side of the Jordan's territory. And all this east side, west side just keeps making me think of like west coast, east coast rap battles. So if you guys are feeling that way, that's okay. Let's talk about that later. But I want you to imagine what it might have looked like to those that were living west of the Jordan. What do you think the other nine and a half tribes were thinking when they noticed this altar was built? I'm thinking there's probably a lot of people that are standing on the west side, mouth adapt, kind of in awe, like, whoa, what's taking place here? Why do we have a second altar? The people that were worshiping idols, we have already wiped out of the land. What's going on? And in our own camps. And that's crazy. Because I'm reminded of verses like Deuteronomy 4.24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And then Deuteronomy 5.9, You shall not bow down to them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And what that did was put me in a place where I was thinking about how crazy it must have felt that they had the altar that existed in Shiloh where people went and actively worshipped the Lord and now a competing altar in their mind has come up. And so they have to do something. So the whole assembly of Israel comes together at Shiloh where the sanctuary of the Lord stood ready to go to war against them. Because if they expected, if they had any thought that there was actual idol worship taking place, they had to deal with it to remain pure and holy before the Lord, something that he commanded. And this is much bigger than your neighbors standing out on their front porch talking about what's happening in their neighborhood in their robes. This is all the people, the whole assembly going to Shiloh to talk about what it is that's taking place and how their brothers have sinned against this holy God that they worship and held in high esteem. There was fear that the things that they had experienced and what they had known were reoccurring to them. And so what they had experienced was probably going to happen again. And that in their mind was scary because sin would affect all. And this is serious. So wasting no time, Israel selects Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to go and question the two and a half tribes east of the Jordan. And Phineas is a man, which it doesn't tell you by reading this, who was known for taking the commands of God serious and who had destroyed those that had made light of God's commands 
to avoid idol worship at Peor. Phineas is the man that should be able to right the wrong that these eastern tribes are committing. Quick. And with Phineas joined ten men that represent the heads of the tribes of the other nine and a half tribes on the west side of the Jordan. So through reading, we are led to believe that there was quite the show out for this event. This was not a small huddle of people, but big groups ready to face off, ready to go to war with these idol-worshipping west side of the east side of the Jordan tribes who are now um, deeply ingrained in what they believe to be idol worship. So Phineas and the ten heads of the tribes west of the Jordan have now traveled east, and before the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, listen to what they say. It's just a huge onslaught of accusations and really hard questions and really putting the spotlight on these two and a half tribes of the east because they want to know, what is it that you've done? Are you for God or are you against God? What is it that you are doing? And do you understand the weight of what you're bringing us into? Do you understand how you're affecting the whole community? It isn't just what you're doing to self. It's what everyone is going to feel as a result. So let's take a look at Joshua 22, 16 through 18. And it says, The whole assembly of the Lord says, How could you turn away from the Lord and build, your, build yourselves an altar of, of rebellion against him now? Was not the sin of Peor enough for us? Up to this very day, we have not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though a plague fall on the community of the Lord. And are you now turning away from the Lord? That's big. I mean, that would be hard for me if somebody came to me and they started asking all these hard questions because then I have to account for what I'm doing. And now I'm on the spot and I can't just walk away by saying, no, yes, <laughs> you know, I have to answer. There has to be a real response what's taking place. And the Israelites west of the Jordan had seen altars built before that were not for God. They had believed that God had always chosen where he was to be worshipped. So they had no reason outside of what they knew to believe that this was not continued idol worship. That would scratch and scorch God's jealousy. Israel was bringing some hefty charges and Israel was pointing out the effects of sin for the community. And there are two examples that you see. One is the sin of Peor, which we found in Numbers 25. And it was that people of Israel had intermingled with people who served other gods, and then they themselves turned and did the same. There were up to 24,000 Israelites that had died because of a plague that was a consequence of sin, the sin of Peor, because the Lord's commands were not taken serious to go and destroy those that opposed him. The second thing we're brought to is the sin of Achan, which Ibrahim preached about Joshua 7 on a few weeks back, and we recall that it was because he took the devoted things. He stole things that were to be consecrated to the Lord for himself, and Israel warns that he was not the only one to die as a result of that sin, and that if you remember, Israel had lost a huge battle to Ai, so the Israelites took sin and disobedience to God very serious and were holding the tribes east of the Jordan accountable for this. 
And something unique we see here, and I want to point out because I was just blown away, was that the Israelites west of the Jordan are also at the same time holding out a hand to their brothers on the east side. And what they are saying is, you are welcome to come back and serve the true God if the land that you are now in is defiled. If the land that you are currently in is unclean and not pure for the Lord, you may come back to Shiloh and to the sanctuary and worship God with us. You don't have to do this alone. You do not have to continue living that way. You can come with us. Isn't that amazing? Because here they are ready for war, but they're also offering a hand in reconciliation to the tribe. It was a, it was a hand of saving faith. And it was not their intent to leave them there in that sin that they had committed. So the Israelites in the West, because of the fear of punishment and taking God's command serious, are pleading, literally pleading on God's behalf that the Eastern tribes would turn back. And the response leads us to this third thing I want you to notice, and it is absolutely incredible, and it is that there was no sin committed. It's amazing because at this point I know a fact, most people would be ready to go to war over this. I mean, if somebody came and questioned you, just like somebody might come and say, hey, I noticed this about you, is this true? And we're ready to get defensive. And we're ready to respond and say, no, absolutely not. That wasn't me. Like, I'm not that person that you're accusing me to be. And we're ready to argue, and that's going to lead into some bigger battle or, or um, problem between us and someone else. But what I find... Interesting is that humbly, they don't get defensive like that. They answer the question. And the question is so beautifully answered. So the hard questions lead to a humble response. And I'm reminded of just how this could be so beautiful in our lives that if we learn to respond the way that Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh responded how much more we could help each other grow and serve the Lord than for us to get defensive and uh, go to war over these things. So let's look at Joshua 22, 22 through 29. The mighty one, God, the Lord. The mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows. And let Israel know if this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. No, we did it to, for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you Reubenites and Gadites, or between... Us and you, you Reubenites and Gadites, you have no share in the Lord, so your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar, but not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow, that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. And we said, if they ever say this to us or to our descendants, we will answer, look at the replica of the Lord's altar, which what our ancestors built, not for burnt offerings and sacrifices, 
but as a witness between us and you. Far be it from us to rebel against the Lord and turn away from him today. By building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings and sacrifices, other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. Isn't that amazing? It's so incredible because what they were doing was not trying to worship idols or to burn offerings or sacrifice or fellowship offerings, but what they were doing was putting up a monument and a reminder for those on the west side of the Jordan to see the east side of the Jordan as brothers, that there would be communion and unity there, that as they go and move towards the east, they would see that that was also Israel and that they were a family, they were one people, and that God is the true God. And they wanted that togetherness of knowing that while they are on the east side of the Jordan, they are still under that same God, and that Shiloh is still the area of worship for them as well. So Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh are now stating that God is the only God, and he knows our motives. He knows why we built the altar, and the altar was built not for foreign idols. It was a replica of the Lord's altar. So that the one true God would only be worshipped in Shiloh. And this was the tribes east of the Jordan identifying with those west. Imagine what would have happened if they would have attacked without asking hard questions. Imagine for a moment that Israel, before they even decided to have this conference where they talked together to see what was going on. They decided that they saw the idol-worshipping altar that they believed was there, and they just charged at it. And then they wiped out the two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan. So much unnecessary bloodshed, and how silly that would have felt afterwards. But this is great news, because it turns out that everything they had feared and everything that they had thought wasn't true, but that the people on the east side of the Jordan were seeking God as well. And while they were right on the west side of the Jordan to, to honor God and hold his command serious by going and trying to destroy or potentially destroy those that have wandered on the east, they go and ask questions just to find out that in the same way they were passionate, the people, west of the, the people east of the Jordan were also passionate for God. But in the same way, they had built an altar so they could honor him and remember him. So it was them coming together. And that is the final thing that I want you to notice in this passage on verses 30 through 34 is that each side was taking the commands of God very serious and that they could celebrate together. Because after Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh explained themselves, Phinehas and all the heads of the tribes living on the west of the Jordan are pleased. They go back and tell the rest of the Israelites who are also pleased. And they stop talking about going to war. And they realize this is something to be celebrated. And I'd like to believe that in all of this, what happened was the Israelites realized as a whole tribe they were maturing. And they were starting to take everything the Lord said seriously. And that for once they were kind of clicking on all cylinders one side was ready to do what it took to be faithful to God, and the other was doing whatever it took to remember how faithful God was. And how is this not an improvement on the stories that we have read through and been through biblically from Genesis to Joshua? Now, asking hard questions led to a great response 
And Joshua 22.34 says, And the Reubenites and the Gadites gave the altar this name, a witness between us, that the Lord is God. So this morning, I want you to think that hard questions can also be helpful in our relationships with others. That when we're, we're thinking something about someone, we should ask, rather than assume, rather than go to war, rather than defile or trash someone's name. And so that leads us into application this morning. With all this information and this story, what do we do? And one is that one thing that I want you to notice is that God's commands and our obedience to his commands are serious. We do not get to pick and choose what we're going to follow. But with careful study of the Bible, we find out what truth is and what truth is not. And we are, we are commanded to follow truth, to follow Jesus. Deuteronomy 13.4, it is the Lord your God you must follow, and him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him. Serve him and hold fast to him. It isn't what the culture around us is doing or what we think is right. It is his commands that we need to take serious. It doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what he thinks. And this is something that I have to learn each day. And I'm talking to myself. Two, that sin is serious and must be dealt with. We need to deal with our sin. Do not let sin exist in your life. If God had given you the knowledge of how you were doing something that displeased him, address it. Literally put your sin to death by going to God and asking him for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His forgiveness makes us right. Matthew Henry says, Christ is the great altar that sanctifies every gift. The best evidence of our interest in him will be the pattern of his spirit in our hearts and our conformity to him. If we can produce this, it will be a testimony for us that we have a part in the Lord and an earnest of our perseverance in following him. The altar is no longer at Shiloh. The altar is Christ. We worship through Christ. It is our conformity to him that speaks of him and his greatness. And so we need to continue moving forward in that, dealing with our sin and becoming more like Christ, that Christ would be elevated to those around us. Take time to ask hard questions. Hard questions do not have to lead to war. Just like Israel, if we think someone is struggling with something, let's ask instead of believing what we are thinking. Think the best of people. Hard questions can in a way be like sharpening iron, and faithfulness to God. Don't talk to people about what you've heard about others. Go to that person directly and bring it up to them privately as you are growing closer to the Lord. Use this time to bring those people with you, and you do that by asking questions. And instead of using that as a way of condemnation, use it as a time to offer your hand out like the tribes on the west side of the Jordan and say, I want you to know that if what you are going through is so hard, I am willing to help you because I want you to see and come with me to the Father. I do not want you to be alone on the east side of the Jordan in your sin, toiling, struggling. I want to take you with me because I care about you. And then four, teach others to take God's commands seriously and celebrate them when they do. It is time for us to celebrate when people cling to the Lord, not just to say that, wow, that person is doing good for once in their life, but no, celebrate them and come alongside them 
and say, let me help you get that next step because I want you to love God passionately and with all your heart. God's commands are serious, just like Joshua commanded those heading east to continue to keep God's commands. I'm urging you to do the same, to love the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him, keep his commands, hold fast to him and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's what I'm commanding you to do this morning, to take his commands seriously, to have hard conversations and to rejoice with those when they respond that they're trying to follow Jesus. Pray with me this morning. Father, we just thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you that we have such an example of good question asking by Israel to those east of the Jordan. Help us to humbly respond when people ask us of our motives, God, and our, our state of our heart, Lord. Keep us committed, God. As I remember a few weeks back, we were talking about how Jesus was praying that the disciples and those that knew you would remain close. I pray that we would also pray that we would stay close to you, God, for those in our congregation and those around us. We thank you, Lord, that you saved us, God, that we can serve you, whether we're on the west side of the Jordan or on the east side of the Jordan, God, we can serve you. Help us to remember and to build monuments to reflect your glory in our lives that we would turn to you, that we would remember that our inheritance is you, Father. We thank you for this morning, and we ask that you be with us in your name. Amen. Thank you so much, Jake. Man, that was awesome. It uh, a lot of it reminded me of this old Steve Green song called "Find Us Faithful," and we're not going to play it right now. But I would encourage you to go look it up and give it a listen. And just the, this idea of being of, of building monuments and doing things to remember faith and remember serving God in these lines. Uh, may the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe, and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us, find us faithful. Refuge Church, we invite you to join us in incarcerating, King, in incarcerating King Jesus in city life, speaking its language, singing its rhythms, sharing its spaces, freeing the oppressed, fighting injustice, finding people of peace, and inviting the city into the kingdom of God.